We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. I would put myself in the same category as D-Wade. Now Artest is jumped over the scorer's table. Artest is in the stands. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head. Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, May 30th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha, Rosh Nesterovich. Turns 43 today. Uh, I always think of Rosho as a Timberwolf, I think. I, I believe he also spent some time uh, with the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, oh, quite a bit of time. He played for Toronto, played for the Pacers as well. Two separate stints with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, but happy birthday, Rosho Nesterovich. Been out of the league for a full 10 years now. One of the worst basketball reference photos I think that you're going to find. Uh, not necessarily his fault. They caught him at a bad moment. Um but if I were him, I would maybe did. try to swap out that, that composite for a different one. We have a lot to get to. We'll, we'll do uh, NBA Finals preview, game one tonight. We'll talk about some of the betting uh, opportunities for that series and for tonight's game. We'll do a little bit of a postmortem on the Milwaukee Bucks. You and I have not really discussed this yet. Uh, and then we'll get into some of the other storylines around the NBA. But first... 
part of the reason that we have not talked about the Bucks, really the only reason, is that you were in Europe, Spain, I was. specifically, uh, for the last week or so. Um, I have, uh, t- you know, specifically avoided asking you about this because <laughs> I wanted to hear it firsthand on the podcast, on the record. Uh, so give us the full breakdown of the trip. Full breakdown. Um, it was a. It's a. It's a long flight. That's first of all. It's like eight hours from Chicago to Belgium, and then you have to do mm-hmm. like two and a half more hours. Yeah, I can't that, really that sleep. Chicago to Belgium, man. It's it's <laughs> rough. You ever had to do it? <laughs> um, watched a lot of movies, but uh, no, it was a good time. The weather was cooperative for like four out of, of the seven days. Went to the beach. Saw a lot, a lot of counterfeit items being sold, mm, um, such as by the beach. Oh, tons of jerseys. Um, uh, just every popular NBA player, uh, shoe. Some guy tried to squeeze me into a size 11, uh, knockoff Nike shoe that had no like, uh, sizing on the in, you know, like on the tongue, oh, like, nothing you know, in there. Like most Nike shoes. Yeah. Uh, Gucci, anything you want. Did you make any purchases? Uh, no, no purchases, uh, from that specific market. No. Okay. Interesting. Uh, so was that it? Just, just a lot of you like <laughs> just, declining street no. vendors? Uh, also went, um, around the city, uh, checked out some cathedrals cause they're, I mean, they're old and they're amazing. Um, went to the roof of one and just whole view of the city was beautiful. Great. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun over there. Um, with, I mean, all the different foods and stuff that they have, it's, it's just, it's as good as everyone says it is. All right. Fantastic. I've never left the country. So eventually I, I think Spain would be near the top of the list of those destinations. Uh, but we can get into NBA final stuff. Kevin Durant out for at least game one. And it, I don't know, it, it still seems like we haven't really gotten the full story from right. Golden State on this injury. Um, I mean, we got the full story the day it happened from Reggie Miller, torn Achilles. Um, <laughs> we, I mean, it still could be, I guess maybe Reggie was right. But Durant, as far as we're aware, has not done any on-court work. You know, it's been all, you know, strict rehab type of type of exercises. So, you know, my thought is even if he does come back for game two, he did travel with the team to Toronto, so it will be an option. Um, even if he's back for game two or even game three, I, I would, it would have a hard time imagining that he's going to be stepping right back in as the Kevin Durant that we saw in the LA series and, you know, through the first four games of that Houston series, who was arguably the best player in the league at that time. Yeah, I think, I mean, Kerr called... Durant doubtful for game two so I mean I think that means out it pretty much means out so the earliest we'd see him would be game three and that's even kind of up in the air I mean there's a better chance because they space these finals games out a little bit compared to like last round which was every other day but yeah I mean I mean assuming he even comes back um I don't think he'd be playing he's playing basically 40 minutes a night um you know, the, the, the past round or two, I don't think he's getting back up to that. Mm-hmm. And maybe even the first game he plays, he might only play like 20 minutes just to see if he can handle it. So right. I even let's, it's, let's say he comes back game three. I don't think we're getting a consistent 35 minutes a night from Durant and he might not even, you know, play that well relatively. I mean, you know, up to his standards. Yeah. I had heard some rumblings, not even rumblings, just speculation, I guess that, you know, if, if Durant is ready to go for say game three, would they bring him off the bench? You know, if, especially right. if they're up two zero after sweeping Portland, after finishing off Houston. You know, I, I think a lot more cleanly than people expected they would after Durant went down. Like, is I think that it puts Golden State in a tough spot. Like, it's Kevin Durant. You know, this isn't this isn't Sean Livingston coming back. You, you can't look at him and say, "Sorry, man. You know, we're on this great run. We just don't need you." Like, 
you know, that's just not an option with Kevin Durant. And no. he, he has to come back. You know, there's an argument that maybe you could bring him off the bench, uh, but you can't, if he's fully healthy, you can't just play him 15 minutes. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see how that goes. Um, I would say it's still shaping up and we'll get to the betting, betting stuff in a little bit, but it's still shaping up to be Steph's MVP if they win. Yeah. Um, if, if Durant missed game one and played game two and played the rest of the way, maybe he has a chance, but you know, if you think the Warriors are going to close this out in, in six or even seven and Durant misses two or three of those games, I, I just don't think there's really a precedent for, for anybody. I don't know. If, has anybody missed any finals game and been the finals MVP? Not that I know of. That, no, not certainly not in recent history. No, I don't think so. Right. So, And obviously that's compounded the more games you miss. Right. And yeah, I mean, I think almost literally the only scenario that Durant wins finals MVP is if he comes back game three and the you know let's say let's say warriors drop the first two games right. durant comes back game three and then they sweep the rest of the way yes you could see durant winning in that case mm-hmm. but well I, let's let's skip right to this so what's the most fun outcome for you personally or uh, maybe this is the same question but for me i would like what's what creates the most chaos i think the most chaos is warriors go up 2-0 and then don't play as well when KD comes back if he can't if he came back game three like if it went to seven games after that right <laughs> or something like i mean that would be that would be crazy um just from i mean just a media perspective um be, everything yeah. like that dream scenario how about you i mean is it for you is it warriors sweep without well, there Durant? are several options right i mean that's this one almost seems more plausible than than yours um which i think you know there's not more a plausible chance. yeah yeah there's not a great chance of either of them happening but you know warriors sweeping through without durant you know, even even if he, he maybe personally he thinks he's on course to return for game five or game six, then the series doesn't even get there. Right. Um, you know, the, just the scene of, you know, what that would look like on the court. Celebrate, you know, Durant's out there, but he didn't suit up for any of the games. <laughs> right. um, you know, I, I think the Warriors would be forced, you know, the Steph, uh, Clay, Draymond Warriors would, would be forced to answer some really difficult questions. And I think reporters would get very creative about how they phrase those questions. Um, so, that, I mean, there, there are several, like, fairly realistic chaotic scenarios that's one of them like you said warriors go up 2-0 durant comes back for game three uh all of a sudden it's 2-2 you know going back to toronto for game five i think that would certainly be interesting (laughs) um or there's the opposite of that where the warriors go down 0-2 you know they have never had to go on the road to begin any of these finals um and i I think it was zach lowe who, who said on his pod yesterday that he views that as almost a positive for golden state as a way to kind of avoid the same routine five years in a row, oh, sure. you know, kind of lazily showing up for game one, thinking you're going to win. Like, you know, it mixes things up for them. It's a new challenge. And, and I, I do kind of buy into that to some degree. Um, but let's say they go down 0-2. You know, they, they, they get used to playing against a Portland defense that's significantly worse uh, than this Toronto defense. Then KD comes back and the Warriors win it in six. Yeah. You know, then, then everything that we've been talking about for the last three weeks is just kind of completely reversed. Right, where people are like, you know, I, I mean, the people say Warriors are better without KD. I don't agree with that. No, I think they're more fun no, without KD. That's my yes. personal opinion. If you if you truly deep down think the Warriors are are better without Kevin Durant, that's just incorrect. There's not a team right. in the league that's better without their best player, right? Right, and he becomes even more important during the postseason when possessions yes. get stopped early and you just need someone to just hit any shot. The um, Warriors aren't in their fifth straight finals without Durant. I think that's pretty clear. Right, but they, the, don't, they don't get by the Rockets last year without Durant. I agree. But the I mean the precedent for him Warriors going down 0-2, him coming back and then winning the series and then leaving. I mean that's that's crazy. <laughs> well, it's funny because I mean for what the third straight 
finals now. Um, you know, we're kind of dealing with this overarching narrative of the best player on one of the teams, and in this case, both of the teams, uh, potentially leaving. I mean, that was kind of constantly the story anytime LeBron was in the finals. So you had that yeah. by default. Um, and especially last year, it was ramped up. Right. You know, when he walked off the court with a few minutes left in game four, you know, kind of gave gave hugs to all the Warriors guys and gave a quick little wave to the crowd. I think, right. you know, there was Everyone, no other way to yeah. view that other than, you know, this is kind of it for him in Cleveland. Um, for one of these teams, it's going to be the same scenario. You know, if if Golden State closes things out and Durant's on the floor, it, the last time that he goes out for his final curtain call, you know, the, whoever's calling the game is going to say, this might be the last time we ever see Durant in a Warriors uniform. If it goes the other way and it's Kawhi, you know, I, I, I think – it's gonna. It's just gonna be a very interesting narrative, I think, to monitor. No matter how the, how the series swings, like whichever team goes down, even one zero, I think you turn on first take tomorrow morning, and there's if the Raptors lose by twenty tonight, um, you know the 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 Kawhi to the Clippers talks, I think, are going to be ramping right back up. Yeah, I mean, I I think everyone. I mean, a lot of people think whoever wins this series, there's more than a fifty percent chance their best player just isn't on that team next year. You could maybe say I, I think Kawhi Kawhi is I think a I think Kawhi's chances of staying are greater than KD's um, because we we still don't obviously I really don't know. I don't think I don't know. We I think they're both like sub fifty percent, right? I wouldn't feel I really so. good about either of them staying sub fifty percent, but I think Durant's like gone. Did you see while you were abroad the the video of Kawhi's sister doing like she was either doing like a Facebook or an Instagram live? It was right after they beat Milwaukee, so it was Saturday night. I don't think so. You could tell it was Kawhi's sister because she looked exactly like Kawhi Leonard, but <laughs> a female. And it was like her, you know, she's just kind of streaming her face. They're celebrating, and they're, you, know, you can hear kind of people in the background cheering. So it had to be very shortly after the game. Yeah. And either she or someone in the background says, like, they're happy now, but he ain't going to be here next year or something <laughs> like that. Like, just something that you just, a close family member, you know, wouldn't say as a joke, I right. guess. So, I mean, there's things like that that have kind of, trailed him the entire year and if there's any superstar who you could see just being totally unaffected by a finals run in a city embracing him like toronto has it's Kawhi, right like right. i just don't think i think they could have gone oh and 82 they could have gone 82 and oh and swept through the playoffs and it really would not affect his decision whatsoever the other thing with Kawhi specifically uh that I, I feel like not enough people are addressing is it's not like he's in the durant situation where if he comes back they're clearly the favorite for the next three years I mean, Marcus Gasol is in his mid-30s, clearly yep. declining. Kyle Lowry, this seems like it might kind of be it for him. You know, into, I mean, he's still going to be a, a serviceable starting point guard, yeah, but yeah. It, it kind of seems like it's it's now or never for him to win a title. You know, he's not getting any better. Serge Ibaka's in that same boat. I mean, Danny Green's a free agent after this year. Like, he's not – obviously, Toronto could could do some things to put other pieces around Kawhi, but it's not like he's – you know, has the surrounding cast of even Giannis, you know, this, this kind of growing young core, it's kind of, you know, they kind of threw him in with a bunch of veterans. And I, I don't know that it would necessarily be the most appealing long-term solution just from a pure roster perspective. No, I agree. I mean, this team isn't really set up to win in the future. If no, they there, went all in for this year. They, it's yeah. worked really well, but yeah, you, you wouldn't look at them and say they're one of the teams that has, you know, even in the top 10 brightest future yeah if Kawhi I mean, stays maybe he propels them into that but the surrounding pieces are not elite you have Siakam mm -hmm. but other than that you know you, you can't expect Van Vliet and, and Norman Powell to, to play at the level that they did in the last series right it's basically the the only argument would be okay well you know Lowry's going to decline Gasol might decline slash leave the you know the younger guys the Van Vliet's Norman Powell Siakam are going to rise up but that doesn't even feel 
it doesn't feel great necessarily. Uh, like you said, there's right. a, other way more scenarios that seem more appealing to Kawhi Leonard that mm-hmm. would also include potentially pairing up with another right. player. Um, well, the argument that you hear for him staying is, you know, Toronto has embraced him. You know, he's learned to like the city and the fans love him. I think you can flip that and say if they win the title, you know, obviously the, all that love is just going to be magnified even more. But it also gives him the perfect out, right? Like it was kind of like when LeBron won in 2016. He was, his, You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, right. He, he could do whatever he wanted from there on out. He knew it. Everybody knew it. You know, the way he left and nobody was burning jerseys, there was really no reaction at all from Cleveland. You know, it was just kind of neutral. Uh, and, I, you know, it's not like the city of Kauai is going to – or the city of Kauai. I guess that's Basically not, that's not that far point, off. Yeah. It's not like the city of Kauai is going to just melt down if he leaves this no. summer, especially if they win the title. I mean, this trade has already been a massive win for Toronto, right? Yeah, I think, I think as soon so. as as soon as that shot went down in Game 7 against Philly and they went to the conference finals, it officially became a victory for Toronto because they were not getting past that Philly team with DeMar DeRozan on this roster. Right, I, I think so. And then if – if Kawhi leaves, then I think the fan base, I can't speak for Toronto fans, but I think the fan base kind of gets like that, oh, we we won the title and we understand that the price we had to pay for the title was yes. was getting rid of the future. And then we're probably going to tank slash sub right. rebuild for the next three to five. Exactly. And that's, that's the price you pay. And I think the fan base was well aware, just as the front office was, of the terms of engagement in bringing in yes. Kawhi you know it's not like they brought in Kawhi and he did the Kyrie thing and stood there in October and said I'm staying I'm resigning you know he never he never once has given false hope you know so I I think he just by way of his personality has almost handled it about as well as you can I mean I, I think there's really not a whole lot of benefit to, to taking the Kyrie route and saying something like that because it can really only come back to hurt you yeah. eight months later you know if you don't say anything there's nothing that anyone can really hold against you right um so I, like I said earlier, I think I think the chances that Kawhi and KD stay are similar. The argument for KD staying is obviously stronger from a wins and losses perspective, yeah. I guess. Um, especially, you know, and we'll get into the Rocket stuff later, but their primary challenger over these last few years, you know, might not be, you know, it might look quite a bit different, I guess is the way to put it. You know, as long as James Harden's there, there's still going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, an, an elite team in the West. But I think judging from the way that Daryl Morey you know uh, that that story earlier this week came out it seems like they're reevaluating things um and they they maybe feel like their their two or three year window you know has kind of passed already right um but with Durant I just I I don't think there's really an outcome similar to Kawhi I don't think there's an outcome whether it's the Warriors getting swept or the Warriors sweeping with or without Durant that ultimately affects you know his mindset yeah I think he's yeah I think he's just ready for to just whatever the new chapter of his career is I think he's just ready for that to happen and i think the same way that i said toronto fans are kind of prepared for anything with Kawhi. i, I think golden state fans in a very different way are prepared for this as well yeah. you know i i don't think they certainly would not usher kevin durant out the door but i think it wouldn't come as a shock by any means no. if he left you know i think it would almost come as a shock if he stayed it would. And, <laughs> yes that, and at that point it's like you know no warriors fan is going to sit there and tell you we don't want kevin durant but it it does seem like it's just kind of this growing faction of people that are not happy that he's going to leave, but also not necessarily upset that he's going to leave. Yeah, I mean, because they, yeah, the fan base kind of, I mean, the the team, you know, they they built it like very naturally. The rise up was was incredible, mm-hmm. and then they just kind of like tacked on Kevin Durant. Right. He just kind of feels like, I mean, he's like a sidecar. Like he's just kind of along for the ride. He's not really I, driving I, the whole thing. I wrote in the roundtable on the site earlier this week that uh, it would have been like the 
you know, the 95 Bulls adding David Robinson or the 2016 Cavs adding Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. And those those sound like ridiculous examples, but that is exactly what happened, right? I mean, not just adding an all-star, not adding Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris, like adding the first or second best player in the NBA. Yeah. Crazy. Um, I had one more point on this. Now I can't remember what it was. We'll just, let's just move on to betting stuff. Um, Toronto is one and a half point favorites tonight at home uh but they are plus 230 to win the series so i i do feel like that's i mean the the series line is going to be you know kind of in flux based on durant i think you know you have yeah. to factor that in uh which you don't obviously for game one uh but i i think i think the raptors are rightful favorites in game one slight favorites yeah i mean they're they're at home Kawhi's yeah. been they have the best player in the series um as of right now and um i mean they they got good they don't have as much rest as Golden State, but they took care of the Bucks in six, uh, so they've had some time. They're healthy. Um, I think I think one and a half is fine. I mean, they, you know, I I don't necessarily like plus two thirty to win the series. To me, that doesn't feel like good value. Like a hundred bucks to win two thirty on the Raptors dethroning yeah. the Warriors. Like that does to me that doesn't feel right. Right. But I think tonight Raptors going to win. That wouldn't that that wouldn't shock me. Um, I mean, they have they have an elite defense. I mean, there's there's plenty of stuff that points to the the Raptors being able to get a few victories in this game mm-hmm. or in this well, series. I think the the Warriors specifically being without Durant as opposed to Curry or Thompson or or Draymond is is you know kind of plays into Toronto's hand because Kawhi would be guarding Durant. You know yeah. that's a given. I think you know, and in a lot of ways, maybe you would argue that he would shut Durant shut Durant down to some degree. You know, better than most most any other defender in the league, but. Not having to put Kawhi on KD means you can now flip him on Steph or Clay. You know, you can you can kind of use him however you want. Whereas you kind of had this built-in matchup before, and I think now that Durant's out for at least a game or two, you at least have these other options um, with Kawhi on the defensive end. Which, I mean, as great as he was on offense against Milwaukee, I think defensively he was even more valuable. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to look at. I mean, these the teams only play each other twice in the regular season, mm-hmm. so I was looking NBA.com matchup data. Did but they have Gasol for the second? Of no, those? they didn't. So they this is all pre-Gasol. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kawhi only played in one game. And Steph only played in one game. So there's there is nothing. Like, yeah. you know, Durant and uh, Leonard guarded each other the one game that they both played. Um, and then other than Durant, you know, it was basically just Clay Thompson and Andre Iguodala trying to guard Kawhi. And they did not do a good job. And the other guy Kawhi really guarded was Clay Thompson and um so my guess is that's who they they throw you know leonard on to start off and then they just try to make steph curry beat them mm-hmm. try to make draymond beat them yep the cousins thing kind of throws a, a a wrench into things but i also think mark gasol guarding cousins who's rusty i yep. just i don't i don't I'm not gonna look too much into that i've seen a lot of people say they should throw Kawhi on steph and i i understand uh, it i i just think that's easier said than done you know like he's Steph is just a completely different player than I think it's easier to lock up Giannis just by virtue of him being a little slower, I guess, just because he's a bigger body, you know, like Steph, they can, I mean, they were not running Giannis off of the type of screens that they run Steph off of. And I, I think yeah. you risk tiring Kawhi out maybe more than you would like to. Right. Um, and I, Steph, like any other superstar, you can only shut him down to a certain degree. So I, I don't hate the idea of putting him on clay, trying to eliminate him completely. Mm-hmm. You can still use Kawhi in help situations um and certain possessions you know of course big possessions you can switch them on to Steph so 
yeah, that'll be extremely interesting to see how they use that. Um, and like you said earlier, I think, you know, Golden State has more rest, but I think Toronto has like the ideal amount of rest coming off of a tough series. Yeah. Um, you know, Kawhi's knee, which looked to be more of an issue in like games three and four than it was in five or six, weirdly enough. Um, you know, having four days off, I think is perfect before the finals, like nine days off for Golden State. It's a lot to me is way too much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think Kawhi, I, I assume the Raptors, I mean, I don't know exactly what they're going to do defensively, but I don't think they'll fight against having Kawhi on Steph if that happens. Like if they do a little bit of a switching scheme, if they just mm-hmm. happen to get switched, if someone gets hit off a screen, I don't think they're going to be like chasing all over the court to make sure Kawhi's not on Steph. Right. I think they can play it pretty straight because they do have, exactly. I mean, the Raptors have a really, you know, uh, like a diverse defensive team. Mm-hmm. Siakam can guard two to three positions. So can, I mean, Langer can guard basically all five positions. Yeah. Um, you know, you have Lowry and Van Vliet. I mean, they just, they can well, do they, a lot of the switching stuff that Houston theoretically did to yeah. try to stop Golden State. Well, they have the big men too to, yeah. if you're worried about Cousins in any way, which I, I think I am on your side here where he was rusty before this latest injury. And yeah. now like he's only going to be set back more. It feels like he's rushing back and it's understandable. I mean, especially for a player, you know, with his history to want to play in the finals and be ready for game one is, is understandable. Uh, but I'd, I would be surprised if he plays more than 10 or 15 minutes tonight. That's, that seems like the max. Yeah. I feel like he's going to be a little bit winded. I mean, this is not the type of injury where he's been able to run, you know, on a treadmill for the last three weeks. He has, really hasn't been able to do anything. Right. Uh, a guy who's, you know, notorious for not being in the greatest shape in the first place. Um, so we'll see. I mean, and, and even if he is a factor, if there's a team that has the big men to match up with cousins, Looney, Bogut, you know, it's, it's Toronto with, with Gasol and, and Ibaka and even, I mean, even Kawhi and Siakam, to some degree, you know, for, for slighter guys can, can stick with big guys. Um, Warriors and six is the most likely outcome plus two forty. Uh, although Warriors and seven and Raptors and seven both have the, th- the same odds, I should say at plus five fifty. I, th- I thought about that for a bit and I thought that was weird, but then with the Raptors having home court in right. game seven, I think it actually makes sense. Yes. I think, yeah, the, the best way to put that would be if, if game seven was in golden state, the odds would be tilted more in there toward Golden yeah, State. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think six games sounds right. You know, in our roundtable, I think all six of us had the series ending in six games. Five of us had Warriors in six and one Raptors in six. Yeah. Which Raptors in six, kind of a wild prediction in my mind. Like winning a game six on the road in Golden State. Uh, although, I mean, we've seen we've seen a team win a game seven in Golden State in, in these same finals. So not not ultra or not uh, ultra unrealistic but i think six games kind of seems to be the consensus uh yeah. you know the best bet in terms of most likely but i mean if you're betting this i you can get a you can get a sweep for either team at plus 460 to me that's only a golden state bet yeah. so uh, <laughs> toronto sweeping the series would be, uh, why, would be why, something. why is that the same odds well so a four game sweep is plus 460 a warriors 4-0 sweep is plus 500 oh okay yeah so it's basically yeah you're basically betting the warriors um but i don't know i mean I, I think they do always have to have this like kind of built-in underlying caveat for like steph curry breaks his ankle in game one sure. and it's like all of a sudden everything's just off the table yeah um but yeah i mean so you, I, do you agree raptors in, or uh warriors in six would be your pick yeah i think that was what i i think that was what i predicted yeah, either I six or seven yeah yeah i i think you know if i had to like rank my my confidence i would say warriors in six one warriors in seven two then probably warriors in five before i get to toronto 
I think so. And, and the thing is, I, I really think Toronto has a chance. I just I do too. I just have a hard time like picturing the scenario, like what has to happen for Toronto to win this series. Yeah, I've. I mean, Ka- I mean, Kawhi has to continue being Michael Jordan essentially. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's possible Gasol is able to take advantage of the I mean of the Warriors inside. I mean, if Gasol can kind of go back to like his you know dominant you know not dominant necessarily mm-hmm. but like memphis grizzlies because he'll be playing against like kevon looney right a lot of the time and if they can just feed it to him in the post and that's you know the warriors don't have much of an answer for right. it that is one way to do it and then you know danny green we've seen him get hot from three before and kyle lowry plays average i mean that yeah. you know and they stay together defensively it could I mean that's i think that's the formula i mean it's a lot of ifs yeah and it might be leaning too much on marcus all but he's also a great player I think this is as vulnerable at the start of a final series as this Golden State team has ever been. Yeah. Even if you go back to 2015, that team had never proven anything to that point. But the Cavs team coming in was without Kyrie and without Kevin Love. So you never even, even the Cavs were up 2-1 in that series, but you never really you never really felt like they were going to run away with it. You know, the way they were playing, you just knew it was not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Delhi was was in the freaking hospital um i think after game three um and you know obviously 2016 you know after coming off of 73 wins even though the Cavs were playing well at that point you know that was a huge shock that they won in seven it was and then we know the story the last two years there was just really not a chance at all that that cleveland would take that series so you know even though i would personally rather see the milwaukee bucks in this series it's going to be a lot of fun um do you think you know putting yourself if we could rewind back to saturday the bucks win and say they go on and win in seven, how would you feel about their chances against Golden State, given the Durant situation? That's, that's to me, talking to Bucks fans over the weekend is what is so... Uh, bittersweet's not even the right word. Just generally bitter, I guess. It's like, not only did the Bucks, you know, collapse and lose this 2-0 lead, but, you know, looking at this Warriors team as depleted as it, as it is, you know, with some people saying Durant might not even come back for the finals. Like, I wouldn't say it was there for the taking, but you would feel pretty decent you know all things considered right. given how dominant the warriors are uh you would feel pretty good about the bucks chances to make it a very competitive series yeah it's a tough question because then we would like it'd be assuming that like young has played better and like bledsoe and miritich and all those guys played better and they'd be coming in you know but either way i think i, I feel like the odds might be almost the same as they are yeah. with the raptors i mean i think it would be warriors and six most likely outcome like basically what we talked about then warriors and seven then warriors and five and then we get right. to bucks and seven and then I, so I, on i do think there's a case to be made though that even though the warriors are more talented and i i wouldn't pick the bucks to win that series i think they're a better matchup for milwaukee than toronto was uh at least defensively oh. like milwaukee has never had issues and you know the sample size is small but you, you can even go back a couple of years like the bucks have played the warriors well like that style yeah seems to match what the bucks want to do mm-hmm. um and obviously you know in a playoff setting it's a little different but yeah i don't think they would lose four straight games to that golden state team the way they did with toronto you know just being right. walled off and and you know i just don't think golden state has the the personnel specifically Kawhi. honestly i mean he was the reason that yeah. Giannis struggled to the degree that he did I don't think Golden State has a guy like that who could give Giannis as much trouble as Kawhi did. Oh, yeah, they don't have anybody to to guard Giannis. I mean, we've seen Giannis right. just, I mean, have some really great games against the exactly. Warriors. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I there there's obviously other players on the Bucks that you might worry about, like Middleton having, be, you know, if they put, you know, Clay Thompson on Chris Middleton or something, that would be rough. Um, or on Eric Bledsoe. Ugh. Eric Bledsoe would probably commit more turnovers than assists at that point. Right. But, um, yeah, I think... 
yeah, I mean, it would, it, it's a little bittersweet, but I think it, I think the overall outcome would be similar. At least the betting odds, mm-hmm. you know, for the finals would have been very similar. Well, and it would have depended how the series turned out too. Like after yeah. after game two, you know, you're thinking like Bucks are going to close this out in five. They, they might even sweep. You know, Toronto right. looked so dejected. Kawhi was, did, you know, yeah. at the time looked hobbled. You know, had the Bucks like swept through Toronto, you know, the the whole narrative going into the series is so much different, but. You know, obviously things turned drastically in the east and the warriors ended up sweeping through in the west and right. um you know something uh that i wanted to mention earlier was you know it, as it pertains to warriors fans with with the future of kd if there's one silver lining for him being hurt it's that it like allowed steph and clay and draymond to remind everyone how good they are yeah. you know like it had that not happened and kd left yeah i think there'd be a lot of questions of like is this run over, you know, did they peak with KD and it's all downhill from here? Like, even if KD walks, I don't see how you could say there's another team in the West, you know, unless Anthony Davis and Brad Beal end up together in LA, something like that. Like, I don't know what other team in the West you could say is definitively better or even close to the same level as Golden State. No, I mean, they'll, yeah, I'm sure they'll open next season as the favorite to win the title. Like you said, unless something crazy is going to happen. I don't know. It's like, if, If, if Kyrie and KD and someone else end up in New York, We'll see. But at the same time, we've seen almost every team that comes together and tries to do the superstar matchup struggles. Yeah, it's yeah. hard. It's really hard to do. The, that Celtics team is really the only one that succeeded the first time around, unless you want to count this Warriors team. But I think they're on another level yeah. in terms of it's... talent accumulation. Do you have any other any thoughts on the Bucks? Um Did you get to watch the games over there? Yeah, uh, they started at 2.30 a.m. Oh, perfect. I think, yeah, they were done by 5.00. So you, you stayed up for him? I stayed up for him. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the sleep schedule was not... I think I slept 12 hours the day I got home. Um, but I just... I don't know. I, I Well, Bledsoe got his money at the perfect time. Yep. That's one thing. Um, it's just... I really thought Miritich would be playable. Like, playable. <laughs> he, he did start most of the series. <laughs> I thought you'd be able to have him on the floor. Um, you know, I thought as soon as Brogdon came back... Yeah, it was going to be the key to opening things up. And it was to some extent. Was. Brogdon was good. He was just so bad in, was it game three or game four? He had that that really bad shooting night. And it seemed like from there, he just wasn't quite the same. Yeah. And just, you know, for, for a team that was so deep all season, to end up with basically six or seven playable guys when it actually mattered was, it was yeah. pretty shocking. I mean, not that I thought Pat Connaughton was going to be playing 30 minutes a night, you know, in the NBA finals. But, mm. you know, you were hoping to get, something out of those guys even though they necessarily hadn't been on that stage before right and i think to some degree it's a little unrealistic you know to expect pat Connaughton and you know the guy sterling brown you know who's kind of out of the rotation to to step up but the counter argument to that is like those the toronto version of those guys stepped up i mean fred van vliet hit 45 three-pointers in games five and six norman powell was basically that for the first three or four games of the series um so you know i mean i've heard a lot of people say like, you know that it's a year too early they needed this experience like i do agree but it's not like norman powell and fred van vliet you know have have been through all these wars no before either so i you know if you're to that level you know what 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 changes from the boston series to the toronto series where you know you can be an effective player against that team but not against toronto um i know i thought the biggest thing was overall toronto's defense in the half court was just that I think it's incredible it that's great. that's why you know if you watch a whole buck series you can see the argument for if the raptors pull it off in seven like yeah. it'd be surprising but you wouldn't it wouldn't be the craziest thing you've ever no right exactly i mean it was more 
I think it was more of a collapse by Milwaukee than Toronto taking the series just because of how things played out with the Bucks like leading so often and yeah. you know that 26 to 3 run uh specifically in game 6 but you know the other thing if you you can be critical of just about every player on the Bucks roster you know you already mentioned Bledsoe I I think Giannis to some degree exposed is a little too strong but you can't you know your best player can't be given the Ben Simmons treatment we've seen right. you know via Ben Simmons himself and now via Giannis that when it's really, really hard to run efficient, effective half-court offense when your best player can be defended, you know, with six feet of space between him and his and his guy. And I think what amplified it was they just weren't respecting Bledsoe, and for good reason. He was five of twenty-nine yes. from three yeah. in the series. So it, it what it reminded me of was last year when teams were playing off of Giannis and they had they didn't have Brooke Lopez, so he's out there with John Henson or whoever else you know was out there at center at the time you had two non-shooters on the court teams were able to pack it in and the bucks were not you know not nearly the offense they were during the regular season and i think you know this time it was kind of the inverse of that where your center can shoot but your point guard can't so you have you know 60 percent of of the guys on defense have to play their man on us 40 percent can just sag off and, and create that wall that we just saw Giannis kind of run into over and over again. And it was just a lot of dribble drive, a lot of handoffs, a lot of Giannis with the ball with five seconds left on the shot clock, not wanting to shoot it, kicking it to someone for a bad shot, and Toronto going the other way. The problem is, you know, you want Bledsoe on the court defensively. Right. But First then if defense. But then if he's on the court, you know, it, it, it ruins the spacing. And yeah. theoretically, you'd like probably Bledsoe and Giannis to be staggered as much as possible because having a traditional point guard— yep which Bledsoe is next to Giannis isn't ideal. That's a whole roster construction issue. But like, um, so, I mean, at least the fact that, you know, the Bucks were able to get six games in the conference finals uh, and not play that well. Like, they you know what good, I mean? They had one good game, game two. They had one good game and they were within, you know, a long reach of, right. of the NBA finals. That's, I mean, that's promising. Um, you know, I think Bugenholzer probably deserves some, um some criticism oh yeah but we had i mean we had i don't know that we been warned that he's not a playoff coach i mean we've seen that before that he sticks to his scheme too much won't work on the fly stuff like that he was a game behind i felt like instead of making the in-game adjustments he waited you know like the mirrorage is such a is a great example you You can do that in round one right maybe round two when you're playing the pistons anything goes right i agree (laughs) um yeah I, i think he'll 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 get plenty of criticism and most of it I think well deserved. Where did you stand on him not playing Giannis enough? Um, I mean I think I I feel like Giannis probably should have been out there for you know forty five minutes just because. Right. He's... Well, Bud's argument was I, I th- we have better options like a fresh Ursan or whoever you know he didn't say Ursan specifically but a f- whoever you're subbing in for him fresh is better than tired Giannis and I I just disagree with that completely I don't think that's the case at all. In the in the regular season, sure. In a, like a basically elimination game, you just have to ro- you have to roll with Giannis. I mean, he's you're talking about a top five player conservatively. So the the chances of him, even when he's tired, turning in the best you know fourth quarter of his career, an all time fourth quarter, are yeah. so much higher if you put him out there for those three minutes and maybe he gets into a rhythm, that's all it takes. Giannis is out there for three extra minutes, gets into a rhythm. It snowballs into this just dominant quarter and you win a game. Or something like so was, you know, he might take five charges in a row. Could happen, but um, it's not, it's not going to be Giannis. Giannis averaged 38 and a half minutes for the series. Kawhi 
41.3. Although that number would jump up quite a bit uh, if it weren't for the two blowouts. Right. And you could maybe make that argument for Giannis too. But those minutes make the difference. I mean, especially when you look at the like the you know the plus minus at the end of these games. Yeah. You know, there was I think the Bucks were up five when they took Giannis out briefly late in game in game six um and by the time he subbed back in they were down two you know and that doesn't sound like much of a swing but with as close as these games were you know basically three of the last four games were six point margins yeah and a lot of that is free throws at the end they were basically one or two possession games coming down to it and it, you just it just it just felt like the bucks had you know opportunity after opportunity they were not capitalizing and it's it's weird because normally when that happens you feel like they're gonna they're gonna they'll get it eventually right but like i said before like the fact that just it looked like like the eye test the bucks were not playing that well no, exactly. and yet they were still in even the game even in game six when they were up you know 15 or 16 or whatever it was it didn't feel like they it's, were playing well and that's it it's strange yeah. that that can happen which is just a testament to the system right. and how good they were all year exactly. why they were just constantly blowing teams out that's not how i felt in the regular season you know when they would get right. up it felt like they deserved to be up yeah um but i don't know i mean the it seems like they're just gonna bring the whole team back again i mean the the thing to me is I, I do you I mean do you think Chris Middleton is a max player do you no. think he's actually okay neither do I I understand I understand why they have to sign him to the max I completely get it and they probably should and will but I it's he's just not a max player no I he's not, he's not even this that series, close this to series me. hammered that home as much as it possibly could and I get Kawhi was guarding him for a lot of it um, but what I told you yesterday is like do you really think that Kawhi would shut down the truly elite you know guards or wings in this league to the degree that he shut Middleton down like no that's that's what separates him is he can get shut down whereas like even someone like Brad Beal doesn't get you know isn't held to like 11 points per game in a conference final series yeah obviously Middleton's really good like he is an all-star like if you put him on New York he'd average 26 a game and five assists and five rebounds and he'd be hitting those you know know. mid-range post-up jumpers I mean I think he would but does that mean in today's NBA, he can't be your second best player. That's just the facts. Like you, you oh, look agree, around, yeah. look around the league at who the second best player is for other teams, and it, it cannot be Chris Middleton. No. It just it cannot. He has to be like your third. Yeah, and if he's a yeah. great third option, right. great, great third option. Um, so that's where I stand on that. But again, I understand he he will be back. I I think the Bucks have to re-sign as many of these guys as they can and be vigilant for trades very soon after. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying you sign and trade everybody or you put everyone on the market you know, three weeks into the season. But, you know, I, I don't think you necessarily re-sign Chris Middleton for five years and, you know, bring back Brooke Lopez for three or four years, whatever it is, Malcolm Brogdon, you know, all those guys. Like, th- all those guys could be could be had for the right price, I guess is, is what I mean. Because you never know who's going to come up and be available, you know, come February. And yeah. I, I don't think every year there's somebody like that. Yeah. You know, I think th- this time last year we were not saying Brad Beal should be traded no not so at all. there there will be somebody and talk about a nice second option for the box i would love for that to be the case i i i think brad buell to the lakers makes a lot of sense based it on what the lakers does. can offer yeah. i mean washington should be more interested in like kuzma ball Hart, the number four pick than they should be in chris middleton or you know a re-signed malcolm brogdon eric bledsoe etc yeah. but I mean the Bucks the Bucks can offer assuming they bring these guys back they can offer an interesting package of like win now guys. Yeah. So there are certain teams out there I it's hard to even come up with you know with potential deals. Uh but there there are teams out there who a, a recently re-signed Malcolm Brogdon would be attractive to. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I always think of, like, Dallas is always the first team that comes to mind for me because I think he'd be, like, great next to Luka. No, I agree, but it's like, what do you want from Dallas? Yeah. Porzingis. <laughs> Which, I don't know. I think I'm lower on Porzingis than most. But, yeah, it'll be an interesting offseason. Um, last thing on the Bucks, where do you stand now on the Bledsoe extension versus at the time it was signed? I think I still think it's a solid deal. It's not amazing, but the fact it's that the last year's, last year's a non-guarantee – uh, it's like a three million guarantee, which is good, and I think he. The fact remains, he's he's an all defensive point guard, and he what well, he's probably he's a was he top ten, fifteen like point guard. I think he's closer to fifteen, yeah, in that range for sure. Yeah, ten to fifteen. And I mean, what was it for? Basically, a year thirteen ish. I mean, how many you know how many players? I feel like there are many point guards worse than him getting more money. Yeah, <clears throat> so he signed four for seventy. 15 point, uh, 15.6 million next year, 16.9, 18.1. And then, like you said, it's uh, just under 4 mil guaranteed for that last year. It's not bad. Well, it's... He's not a guy I'm worried about aging poorly necessarily. And, the, you know, we're talking that last year he'll be 32. So it's not like he's going to be 36. But yeah. it's just more of like next year. Are we sure this is the guy? You know, what, you know, what if the shooting doesn't come around, you know, all of a sudden he's just not ever really been a shooter. I don't think it's, but he did shoot it well enough in the regular season that the spacing was never an issue. I think teams are going to make him prove it again that he can shoot. I think, I think more to me when I think about Bledsoe playing is anytime he actually shoots a three relatively early into the offense, I'm really frustrated because you, when he drives and he's so good at driving, when he actually gets the ball in the paint, that's Mm -hmm. how that opens everything up. That's right. when he's his best. He's a great driving, driving kicker. He he's amazing. Got away that. from that and started to do a lot of like wild in air finishes in which he just he kept can't blocked at the make rim. real layups in traffic. No. He can't make he layups touch. in traffic. No, no, and he can't jump as high as he used to. No, exactly. Um, I mean, the biggest indictment on him is it was there was no argument that George Hill was not the better option at the end of that series and he was on the court for the last five minutes of most of those games. Well, yeah, Hill's more of a pure point guard, like a three point shooting guy, which is almost more ideal next to Giannis, yeah. but obviously Bledsoe gives you a higher, a higher ceiling potentially, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I don't think the bucks are, are concerned about this extension right now. I think it's still, now. I think it's still a value contract and it's one that if you absolutely needed to, you could still trade. Yeah. It's, that's a good, that's, I think that's the best way to put it. It's a tradable contract, yes. which are always the best kind of contracts. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. I've, I neglected to mention this earlier, but finals MVP odds. Uh, this is these are via the FanDuel Sportsbook. Steph is minus one fifty four, very specific number. And then you get to Kawhi at plus two forty five, Draymond plus seven hundred, Clay plus fourteen hundred, KD plus sixteen hundred, which again says a lot about his status. Siakam plus five thousand, Lowry plus five thousand. Steph, and we've talked about this. Steph is the obvious bet yeah. for a number of reasons. I wouldn't bet on anyone for Toronto other than Kawhi. I mean, it's it's an impossible scenario for the Raptors to win the finals without Kawhi being the MVP. But is there a case to be made for, given the odds, I'm saying, Draymond at plus 700, Clay at plus 1,400, even KD at plus 1,600? Like, can you think of any rational argument to go against Steph or Kawhi? Um, I don't think Clay at 1,400 is horrible. Uh, no, I mean, we've seen it happen with this team before. Yeah. I think... he he can get so hot if he if he shoots i mean is it it's not unrealistic for him over let's say the series goes five games could clay thompson shoot 60 percent from three in in a five-game stretch probably if he hits 
eight threes in game one and hits 10 threes in game four that's what that's i'm not, saying that's not off the table yeah so if he i mean i in a five game stretch could, could clay thompson average 30 points a game three assists three rebounds right. two and a half steals yeah. yeah and he would be the reason that they would have won in five games yeah. is because so i think to me plus 1400 is actually i think that's a good price to get clay at would i do it not necessarily but bet 10 bucks you get 140 i don't right. know it's not horrible it would be hilarious for kd to not play in the series and steph still not win the mvp yeah. <laughs> in the series that they win no that's i mean that's about as strong of an argument as you're going to make i think you could make a similar case for draymond just having a monster defensive game yeah. three triple doubles you know, he's got he's got triple doubles in his last two like i the yeah, way he, he's looking right now he's yeah. playing the best basketball that he has since 2016 so to me those those wouldn't be inconceivable and yeah you would clay i think would need some help if that makes sense in in the form of steph not playing well like Steph can't also go off for 41 game and right. like not have a bad game. Like he would need in that scenario you laid out where they, the Warriors win in five games, the game they lose, Steph has to go like three of 21 from the yeah. field or something where and people remember how bad he was in that game. And they have to get like a lot of Iguodala help. Yep. A yep. lot of like maybe cousins, you know, averaging like 12 and seven, yep. just like enough. Exactly. To but where... Basically what happened exactly the blueprint in 2015. Yeah. Where it was just like, well, nobody was really good enough. Iguodala, I guess, did some stuff on D. <laughs> um, I mean, Curry, I don't even think got votes that year. That's... To be fair, there's only like 12 finals votes. So it's yeah. not, not a huge base, but um yeah I, I mean i wouldn't recommend betting on stuff there's just very little value there at this point yeah, unless that's... you want to put up a bunch of money do you want to talk about the lakers at all i don't how much do you care about this or do you want to jump straight I mean, into cp3 i mean i read the i mean i i read the lakers story which i think everyone should wild. read oh yeah it was a, it's a ride it's a um yeah um it just i don't want to spend too much time on it because i think it just confirms a lot of what we already knew and just didn't have explicit details for like all the all the stuff in the story were things that had been like vaguely reported and now we just get like the the specifics of it like we all knew that for the past like basically four years the lakers had been run like by people who were semi-qualified and would never would not trust any of the assistants and then would make decisions that they just like felt were right and uh would blame other people it just it it just kind of highlights, like I said, the specifics of it. Yeah, nothing in that piece, uh, which we should say is uh, by ESPN's Baxter Holmes, was really surprising at all to anyone who's followed the Lakers. Um, I would say it was interesting that it really didn't touch on LeBron at all. It was mm, all of the right. things that you would think would be critical of LeBron were critical more of Rich Paul and uh, even Matt yeah. Carter and even like LeBron's uh, you know group of friends who are on the payroll. Uh, but even even like that, you know, that little anecdote about LeBron's three friends are on the Lakers payroll. At first, you're like, wow, that's really weird. Two sentences later, they say this was also the case in Miami and Cleveland. So, I mean, it's not traditional by any means, but it's also not new just this year. You know, this is something that's been going on for a decade. So I do wonder if LeBron is trying to distance himself from this. He was clearly distancing himself from the rest of the roster this year. But like, <laughs> I think, I mean, whether you believe him or not, a big part of the reason he came to LA was to team up with magic. You know, this guy who he supposedly idolized, especially from a business perspective. I can't imagine that that's still their relationship. You know, I don't know how LeBron could, could overlook everything in this piece and everything that I'm sure he's seen with his own eyes. That is not in this piece. Um, I mean, Baxter Holmes was on Zach Lowe's pod yesterday and said yeah. they left so much on the cutting room floor that they just could not fully source out to get in the story. He said there were, there were things that would probably be more shocking that would than anything in that story that they just couldn't report. So, you, I mean, it makes you wonder, 
um, you know, just how dysfunctional we, we knew how dysfunctional it was from a basketball perspective. I guess I didn't realize that it ran all the way through the organization. You know, what did they say? 300 odd employees. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, for me, like two things, like you were mentioning stand out one magic Johnson and LeBron having this relationship and then magic just being like, I'm out actually like have, you know, you're still here. So I mean, what a wild guy, your contract. I... Um, and then uh, on the other hand, just the fact that LeBron has made it essentially this far in his entire career without, I mean, he, in this story, like you said, there's nothing about him. The fact that he's made it this far while seemingly there's dysfunction all around him, but no one can ever come out with something that'd be like LeBron did this right. and it, you know, whatever. Um, it's always the people around him. He's a and master like, of walking the line. Yeah, He really is. And I don't know if it's like him telling people to do things. Cause at one point didn't Rich Paul confront Adam Silver and was like, Luke Walton trying to coach this team. Yeah. Like how, what, what's, why is who, Adam who, Silver? What is he going to do? Yeah. Right. He's just like complaining to the commissioner was the he, same way you or I would just be like, you know what? I, I'm not so sure Luke Walton, you know, just yell at him on I, the street. Right. I just don't understand why Adam Silver is the guy to go to. What is he going to do about the coach? You know, I think it, it'd be one thing to go to Adam Silver to complain about Jeannie Buss, you know, yeah. because Jeannie Buss in some ways answers to Adam Silver, but Adam Silver doesn't care who's coaching the Lakers. <laughs> like he doesn't have the power to fire Luke Walton. Like, is he going <laughs> to sit down Luke Walton and, and talk basketball strategy with him? I, I just thought him. that whole story was obviously weird, but to me, that was the strangest part is why even involve Adam Silver? Yeah. That, that, to me that that part of the story just like really stuck out and it was just i don't know if it's like rich paul thinking he's yeah more important and than he actually is in the grand scheme of things or what but yeah i i think that's certainly part of it um let's move on to the rockets i don't know everybody's read the lakers stuff by now it's yeah. just depressing if you're uh <laughs> if your rooting interests lie with uh mr james so, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, I believe you may have heard of him. He works mm -hmm. for ESPN, reported yesterday that Daryl Morey has made, quote, his entire roster and future draft picks available in trade talks, according to league sources. I kind of always assumed that was the case, first of all. He's kind of he's kind of hinted at that tongue-in-cheek in the past. Yeah. So, it's not like it's not shocking, but, but the fact for it that, to come out publicly like yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, someone said it or leaked it to him, and then, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, um, I think like the biggest, the bigger news, and this isn't shocking either, but in the story, it mentions that the, the Harden Paul dynamic was not without its challenges. That's how it was written, uh, this season. So not that Chris Paul is the easiest guy to get along with <clears throat> and, and James Harden, I feel like we still don't really know what he's like behind the scenes. He's yeah. just kind of a quiet guy. Um, it's not shocking. You know, I, I think the Paul fill in the blank dynamic has not been good his entire career. <laughs> um, but you know, I think the fact that they were willing to commit that much money and that many years to Chris Paul last summer, the plan was not to trade him a year later. That's not a tradable contract or a value no. trade contract. Um, and it makes you wonder. I mean, the, the the entire roster being available implies that James Harden is a part of that. I don't see how you could possibly get equal value for Harden <laughs> unless unless they want to shift back to like the early Maury days rockets of going like 11 deep with really good players. Kind of, kind of like the Miami heat approach, yeah. which ironically back then included Goran Dragic. You know, you don't have one superstar, but you, you have eight really good players and you just kind of fill in around them. I don't, I can't imagine they would shift dramatically back to that. I don't think they're shopping James Harden by any means. And I don't think no. they would trade James Harden unless it was for a, you know, an, an unbelievable package. But part of me thinks that between now and the draft, some some rumor is going to come out where a team is reaching out, inquiring about James Harden, and teams probably already have. Yeah, I mean, to me, 
thinking on like who is the most available or like the most tradable. I think it's Clint Capella. And partially because he's not, you know, I think they almost structured. He went all of that was last offseason, right? They negotiated his contract. That was a huge, that was like almost a saga. Like they, it was, yeah, it was. He wanted a ton and they kept lowballing him and then they ended up somewhere presumably in the middle but it's still some people call it like an underpay some people are like this is the best one of the best values for a center in the league i think he was happy with the contract but like, i think they were reluctant to give it to him and that's kind of yeah. what stung you know but at the same time that also makes it very tradable i think okay. i think it's a very tradable contract and i think maybe they were signing it they didn't want to commit to him because they were right. not super confident in him and wanted the potential to, to trade him so to me clint capella is probably most likely on the table I'm not sure exactly what you would get back for Clint Capella. It's not the most fun thing to like, you know, mess around with a trade machine. But at the same time, you know, you figure they might be better off trying to get a like a another good wing player, like a, a right. better quality wing player, and then just kind of rent out center to whoever's available right. and can catch lobs and exactly. stand in front of the basket. I think that's a great way to put it. Is they they still need that type of center, but I mean Capella was terrible in that golden state series oh God, yeah um i think that you know that's probably what sparked some of this um i think they look at capella and say like you know you're a great fit for what we do specifically but we could get someone who does 80 percent of what you do for 20 percent of the price either, yeah. you know and and i think i think other teams will kind of view it the same way where it's like you know only only certain teams can bring in clint capella you know only teams that are you know super heavy pick and roll want a rim runner like that you know, he just he just doesn't have the same value for all thirty teams. So your your destinations for Capella are limited. But at the same time, I mean, he's still super young. Oh, you yeah. know, I mean, he's a very very good above average center. I think he kind of left a sour taste in people's mouths after that Golden State series. But there's going to be a market for him. I think it's infinitely more fun. And we were doing this, you know, not an hour ago uh, to put CP through the trade machine. Yeah, because I mean, you talk about limited destinations when when you have a guy making as much money as Chris Paul is. Even if you throw out the fact that he's in his mid-30s and is going to be in his late 30s when that contract is up, I mean, that's its own caveat that the trade machine doesn't account for. Like, it's hard to just find a deal for him because of how much money is on the books and how much other teams would have to send back. We should also note that the trade machine at this time of the year is just not updated for how things are going to look right. when these deals would actually be made. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just hard to, you know, guys who are expiring are still on the, on the roster, things like that. Uh, but there are certain teams that... You can you can kind of carve you know carve out these workable deals. So I'll throw a couple at you: Chris Paul and Clint Capella to the Detroit Pistons for Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond, and Kyrie Thomas. We'll call it any filler. What, I mean, my my concern if I was the Rockets would be that Reggie Jackson is as injured as Chris Paul on a regular basis. Um, it kind of gets you out of the Capella deal. I just. I don't know. I mean, what do you are you is this more of a deal for just getting off the Paul contract? Yes. So to me, this is you're under the assumption that under new ownership, you have to cut some costs. Um, you know, they probably weren't thrilled about the Chris Paul contract. Capella is a brand new contract. You to me, you're you're dropping off from Chris Paul to Reggie Jackson, obviously. But Reggie Jackson comes off the books after next season. So all of a sudden nice. that frees up a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, Andre Drummond, you have for next season and then he has a player option at 28 million which he'll probably pick up for the year after so you're looking at basically three combined years for those two guys plus Kyrie thomas who's a throwaway um versus you know three more 
mega expensive years for Chris Paul. Um, and then four more years at at least, you know, 16 to 17 million for Clint Capella. And that contract goes all the way up to 20 million in 2023. So right. to me, Capella and Drummond is kind of a wash. You know, I think they both have similar flaws and similar strengths. Um, and in some ways I, I think Drummond might be a slight upgrade, although our, our colleague, James Anderson vehemently disagreed with me on that. <laughs> I think that's a wash. We'll call it a wash. And it's a, you know, it's a sizable downgrade from Paul to, to Reggie Jackson. But I think that gap is going to shrink with each year, you know, I mean, Chris Paul's not getting any better. And, and over the last 30 games of this year, including the playoffs, he did not look like the CP three we saw even last season. So like for the amount of money that you'd be saving, I feel like it would be worth it. Why does Detroit do this? I don't know. It's kind of CP three and Blake. Back yeah. Together. Right. CP three and Blake back together. Harden, <laughs> Harden and Reggie Jackson back together. They, they played together in OKC. Um, yeah. I mean, that would be a disaster from a chemistry standpoint, but it would, it would be Detroit just going you know, way in for one or two, one or two more years while Blake is there. I think Detroit would do this immediately. I think if you called, I honestly, I think if 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 you called Detroit and offered this deal, they would say yes and hang up the phone and like really? send the papers. Yeah, hmm. I think I think for them this makes a ton of sense because so, Blake, how many years, how many healthy years does Blake have left? That contract's insane. Who are they going to sign in free agency? Um, they they just be, they would be paying over 80 million dollars to Blake and CP in 2021-22. Yeah, but if you think about if you think about you being able to say like if Detroit it's basically like Detroit getting Lob City minus uh it's not even really minus DeAndre Jordan if you consider Clint yeah, Capella. I mean he that basically good. is DeAndre Jordan. I mean how much would have Detroit killed to just literally take on Lob City 2 years ago? Yeah. I mean, well, the problem is you're getting old Chris Paul. So that, that to me is the big sticking point. Like, I think they want to get rid of Reggie Jackson. I just don't know if bringing in that Chris Paul contract is the move, but they're, they don't have a lot of other options. If their goal in this scenario, you would need two things to be true. The Rockets want to lose, want to cut cap and Detroit wants to stay, you know, hyper relevant in the next two years. That's, I mean, that's Which my, I, that's my thought is Detroit desperate for big name players right. wants to win a first round series. This, I mean, right. That's what this is. You get you have three big names in your on your roster now. You probably can win a first round mm-hmm. series if you match up like if you end up as the five seed or something. Right. Um, that's the, that's going to be the case for any team taking on Chris Paul. Is you your number one priority is is uh, short term relevancy. Yeah. And yeah. you kind of have to you kind of have to have blinders to some degree. Right. What about Chris Paul to the Miami Heat for James Johnson, Kelly Olynyk, and Dion Waiters? The Dion Waiters part. Imagining Deion Waiters with James Harden. I know it's... 15 threes a game. It's a lot. Um, Olenek actually, in my opinion, is the most interesting player that, that Houston would be getting back because he can play the... He'd be a floor spacing five, which the they, Rockets really haven't had. They'll try P.J. Tucker at the five, mm. sure, but that's not the same as Kelly Olenek, who can actually play the five and shoot some threes. Um, that, to me, would be a really interesting... Um, really interesting combination to have basically a Milwaukee box five out right. offense with James Hargan instead exactly. of the pick and roll lob threat that they, that right. they usually are. And you're doing a three for one in this scenario, which would require some roster, you know, machinations, but th- that would basically mean that all the minutes that were going to Daniel house. And I'm trying to think of who else was even on that roster at time. Austin rivers. Yeah. Like those minutes are redistributed to, James Johnson, Dion Waiters, you know, and they should even have more, more opportunity regardless to, to put better guys around Harden this year. 
Um, but I, I do, I do get the sense that like, that's what they're looking for. They don't want to trade Harden. They want to turn Paul and or Capella into, you know, three or four usable players. I yeah. feel like, I think they felt like they ran out of like NBA players last yeah, year. I mean, they did. And that was, yeah, exactly. They, they literally had to dip into the G league. Um, so yeah, I mean, the thing is all those, those three guys we mentioned basically add up to the Chris Paul contract. So mm-hmm. in, in some way it doesn't really, it doesn't necessarily cut all that much in terms of money, especially in the immediate future, but you're getting in theory, those three guys combined, you would think would be more valuable than Chris Paul singularly. Uh, yeah, it very much could be. They still have to find like a backup point guard, but right. you can, those are kind of a dime a dozen. Just try to find someone. Yeah, that is true. I, I mean, it's probably waiters in that scenario. Just get like Corey Joseph or something. Like, it just, yeah. I don't know. No, yeah, I think, the waiters. I think that's yeah. <laughs> waiters run it. Okay, last one. CP to the Chicago Bulls for Otto Porter and Cristiano Felicio. Yeah, I brought this one up because I thought the Bulls might do something crazy desperate to try to be relevant quickly. And I think this is that. Um, I think. I love this one. Mellow signs with them too. I think. This is another one where I think if the Bulls called, Houston would just do this. I don't even think they would really think. I think they would just be like, yeah, sure, I'll take Otto Porter and just hang up the phone. Um, Is Otto Porter better than Chris Paul right now? No, but I think on the Rockets, it probably makes more sense. Right. It's closer than it should be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, because P.J. Tucker and Otto Porter on the wing, it's like that's that's a ridiculous combination. Um, But for the Bulls, I mean, you kind of get out of – I mean, they hit Chris Dunn um like outwardly do not like chris dunn so mm-hmm. they don't have to deal with that anymore um they probably think that levine and maybe not maybe not incorrectly levine markinen and wendell carter is like should theoretically be good enough to be a playoff team if led by chris paul yeah um i don't think that's far-fetched and so um you know it may not be the best <clears throat> long-term thing but at the same time Iowa Porter might be overpaid, so you just kind of yeah flip that around. Yeah, so Porter has twenty seven million next year, and then a twenty eight and a half million player option for the following year. You're also getting off the Felicio deal, which it isn't you know it doesn't look as bad now as it as it did at the time, but that's still I mean that's still combined fifteen million. He's unplayable in the regular season, right? I mean that's he's he's one of the worst like remaining Mozgov type of contracts out there. Orlando was another team that we threw around um you you could come up with a number they have much like miami they have a few bad contracts you could toss in there but um you could do mozgoff and fournier you could do um aaron gordon as kind of the centerpiece basically anybody plus mozgoff would get it done right i think i'm not sure that i mean to me evan fournier and eric gordon feels like redundant so i think they would be more likely to do like aaron gordon just get a guy who can do a like a kind of a more dynamic forward because all their forwards are either pj tucker who is basically just a you know three and d guy uh basically all their forwards are three and d guys and so with aaron gordon you get someone who can actually generate offense and he can run transition you can do some rebounding you could run pick and roll with him you could run pick and pop with him he's not like a lead at any of those things but just having kind of like a almost like a three position utility guy for the Mm -hmm. you know who's who can score 17 a game if he had to be really interesting for the rockets and that would actually be like a diverse uh a change of pace from what they normally right. have which is hard and then just pure role players i agree i i think he 
maybe more than than any kind of mid-level young player in the league is just like dying for a new situation and there's kind of that promise like someone like Otto Porter um and the, the Miami guys like they're they're old enough and we we just kind of know what they are you know yeah. you're, you're getting them you're plugging them in and we know their role whereas like with Gordon if you're Houston you could kind of talk yourself into the upside that's still there oh yeah and that's part of me thinks that's why my, why Orlando maybe wouldn't want to flip him for Chris Paul specifically just because you you think you could maybe get someone with a little more long-term upside for for Eric Gordon or for Aaron Gordon but you talk about teams that want to be relevant in the short term you know I mean that's Chris Paul and Vucevic is... I, they took a game off Toronto without a point guard basically although yeah. I mean to be fair DJ Augustine had like the game of his career uh in that win but I mean, they they check the box of needing a point guard, of wanting to stay relevant. Oh, oh they do have Fultz. Never mind. Ah. They're 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 set at point guard. Although that might be a contract they're trying to get rid of. I mean, that's you could make that part of this deal. I mean, Fultz is due almost ten mil next year, uh, and then you start getting into you know team options and whatnot that are yeah. you know plus twelve twelve million. I I I mean, I think they want to hang on to him because they don't have a point guard. If they got Chris Paul then you're like, all right, whatever. We'll send Fultz wherever he needs to right. go. Um, or maybe they try to hang on to him. I don't know. But either way, I mean, that to me, I mean, I still think Chris Paul and Orlando would be just be interesting from because, yeah. you know, the East being what it is, Chris Paul and Vucevic could win you. Yeah. That feels like 40 wins, like by default. And then you get, it's interesting with Jonathan Isaac, if he keeps developing, Fournier still a guy you can score mm-hmm. 15 to 20 a night. Um you know, they would have to figure out what to do with like small forward power forward. I guess Terrence Ross, you slide. I think Isaac he's up to... a free agent this summer, but okay. I, I think they're also open to bringing him back. Yeah. Um. The the last thing on Chris Paul, I I do wonder. It wouldn't be a mellow situation, but like, could he go from, you know, big time playoff contender these last ten years? You know, one of the one of if not the fieriest competitors in the NBA. Could he go play in Chicago or Orlando? For, or Detroit, you know, all these teams we're mentioning are pretty objectively bad situations for a guy like him to go into. You know, like if he's playing alongside Zach Levine, how 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 much would he hate <laughs> Zach Levine after two practices? You know what I mean? Like, would we would we get full CP three? You know, if he if he knows going into a season, kind of like LeBron with this Lakers team, he knew going in we're not winning the title. Like, what would that do to his to his mindset, to his effort level, to his already you know bristly personality? That's a good point um if you're but, the rockets i don't think you can worry about that but it's something to consider if you're the team bringing him in yeah i think so but i also think he would affect winning way more than carmelo would and well, i mean uh, if he the thing is even if you're a team no, like the bulls trying to bring him in your goal you're not you're not deluded enough to think like we're all oh, we're gonna win the title now or we're gonna go to the conference well, finals I, you're like a different example the bulls might be a bad example for that one even the magic <laughs> i think anyone in this category that right. we discussed who brings him in it's like oh now we can make it past the first round yeah. and that's all they want and so i think chris paul playing at like 80 percent, you think that's probably general lebron effort when he knows it doesn't matter yeah. play cp3 playing at 80 percent effort can get a team past the first round of the playoffs mm-hmm. um and yeah whether or not you want to pay for that i it just I mean, it's 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 one of those moves you you do almost less for basketball reasons and more for like franchise relevancy mm-hmm. reasons. Okay, we'll end on this. Is Chris Paul a Houston Rocket on September first? I'm still going yes. I think so. I think they're more likely to trade Capella and try to do something that way. But it's close. 